Welcome back to episode 122 of Podcast Royal. How are you doing? Doing great. A little frozen in over here. So last week I said we were having the rainy British weather, not to bring up the weather every podcast, but <laughs> we had a little a little dusting of snow last night, which, you know, in the south is a little unusual. And when I got up this morning, it was only 16 degrees outside. So That's just not okay. <laughs> so I live, uh, listeners, I think I said this before, I live in Florida now. And it's even going to freeze overnight here tonight. It's going to be below freezing, a hard freeze. And it was like 69 degrees earlier today. So, I mean, which like, please listeners don't kill, including you, Jessica, don't kill me for saying that, but it's just cold everywhere. And I'm already ready for it to be spring, but I have to say this on here. Your birthday is on Monday. So this is the last episode we have before your big day. And I get to see you in a week. Yes, you'll be in Birmingham and we'll be out together. So um, we'll have, I guess, you'll be recording the podcast locally next week. I will be recording locally. I will be recording at my mom's house next week. So that awesome. will be very exciting. And I cannot wait to see you. When was the last time I saw you? Maybe a month ago? I think so. It's been a little while. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. But I want to, first of all, I live for and love getting emails from you guys. We just got actually, Jessica, haven't even told you about this yet. We just got a really nice email this afternoon that we'll read next week. And uh, we love these kind um, reviews, especially the reviews, because that helps people find our podcast. But we got a really cool email and it's really a beautiful listener email that I wanted to read. So it says, dear Jessica and Rachel, what more can I say? I love, love, love your podcast. The two of you are the perfect friends to take me with me on my daily walk. I'm glad one of us is walking. Um, it's not <laughs> me. Your content is in I'm glad I'm going on someone's walk. I'm just not going on my own. Back to her. Your content is informative and non-biased. I'm glad you see it that way. Cause that's what we strive for. It is presented in an easy to listen to manner that is more like catching up with a friend. I enjoy all the different special extra items, bit of British, shout out Jessica, that, I, that was me saying that, not her, um, royal palaces, deep dives. It is interesting to hear about the other royal families around the world. The British royals will always be my favorite, but there are so many other exciting royals to follow. Thank you for all your research and continued work to bring us the latest in the royal world. Now, this is cool. This is a really cool part of this email. I am writing this on the eve of Princess Catherine's birthday. So that would have been, I guess, January 8th when she's writing this. She is my favorite royal. Last July, 2023, I turned 40 and I took inspiration from her 40th birthday portraits for photos of my own. I thought you may enjoy the photo. Sincerely, Tiffany. And then she includes this gorgeous photo of her just in that uh, pose where Kate's like, it's the ethereal photo where she's like looking off to the side and Tiffany, you look beautiful. So that was sweet, huh? I love that. Yes. And I can tell in her photo, she's got, um, so for listeners, it's a black and white photo and she's got like the off the shoulder dress and the long brown hair and it looks absolutely gorgeous. And I love that you um, just celebrated your 40th this last year, which is pretty close to Catherine's age. She's a little bit older, but um, that's awesome. I love it. Yeah. And you look stunning, Tiffany. This is a stunning photo. I also want to add in a kind review from Apple podcast. This is from tick B T Y C B E E. This person says, I always look forward to new episodes of podcast Royale. We, we got upgraded from podcast Royal to podcast Royale with an E on the end. Um, I like it. The hosts are incredibly knowledgeable and I always learn something new. I especially love the bit of British segment. So a great call out to you, my friend. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, we have no bit of British segment today. 
<laughs> well, we don't have one today. Uh, we'll, we'll bring them back though, but we have a lot to pack in this episode, but anytime, you know, listeners, you have a message to send us, we always love it. And um, if you do want to take the time and put that message into a review, um, that definitely helps the podcast. It helps other people find the podcast um, and it helps keep our ratings up. So we would really appreciate it. Yeah, it really actually does make such a huge difference. So thank you to both of you for your kind messages. Okay, so we do have a lot to cover today, and we are going to kick off the Royal Rundown. So briefly, as if we needed a reason to love the hardest working royal, who of course is Princess Anne, even more, she insisted on carrying her own bags while she was traveling on an official visit to Sri Lanka last week. So Anne is just the best, and she and her husband, Sir Timothy Lawrence, were in Sri Lanka to mark 75 years of diplomatic relations between the country and the UK, and this visit marks actually the first international royal visit of 2024, so we're traveling. We're out there. Did you see the photo of her carrying her bags? I did, and I was thinking, I can relate to that. I mean, I think if I were a princess, I could I could probably be persuaded to let someone else carry my bags for me, but I can relate to that, you know, wanting to feel strong, right? Like you, you've got this, you can carry your bag. Mm -hmm. Um, I am definitely the person in the airport that will pack as much as I can on my shoulders and carry it through. So I, Mm -hmm. Thumbs up to Princess Anne for that. Just always the coolest. And then, so Harry is receiving an honor in the form of being inducted at the 21st Annual Living Legends of Aviation Awards in Beverly Hills on January 19th. So that's on Friday. He is among four to be inducted this year, and the event is hosted by none other than John Travolta, and it honors those who have made significant contributions to aviation or aerospace. I mean, I know Harry was a, a pilot, but I mean, like, the hall of the hall of fame might be a little bit i don't know Congra- <laughs> congratulations is where i'll leave that but if, again and this is not to be you know downplayed at all but if you'll remember harry was a helicopter pilot during his time in the british army including flying training missions in the uk the us and australia and during combat missions in afghanistan so that is certainly nothing to shake one's head at. And thank you again, Harry, for your service. Even though I'm not British, I still will thank you for your service. We also um, briefly wanted to wish Sophie, the Duchess of Edinburgh, a very happy birthday this week. She turns 59 on January 20th. And then two days later, it's your birthday. January is just a month full of birthdays. Actually, so many of my favorite people were born in January. So it's it's a good month to be born. It's it's an interesting time to have a birthday because you, I don't know if, if you notice this, I, I do because of when my birthday falls, but I always hear people say, oh, you know, your birthday is a great time of the year to kind of reset and relook at your goals mm-hmm. and everything. And I'm like, well, we're already doing that in January. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's kind of the start of two fresh years, right? It's the new year and it's your birth year. (laughs) You know what I would do if I had your birthday, which is January 22nd. I'm not telling you what your birthday is. I'm telling listeners what your birthday (laughs) is, but you know what I would do? I would um, be like, okay, I've got these new year's resolutions. And then January 22nd would be like, well, I've messed all of them up. So I'm going (laughs) to restart again. (laughs) So anyway, well, happy again, happy early birthday to Sophie and happy early birthday to you. And so King Charles has a new portrait. It was taken last year at Windsor Castle by photographer Hugo Bernand. And on Monday, so we record on Tuesdays, you know this listener. So yesterday, the cabinet office unveiled the new photo. And this photo will hang in schools, police stations, fire stations, courts, like Queen Elizabeth's did before him. And U.S. listeners, it's kind of like when you go to like an official government place and 
the president's portrait is on the wall. So it is free of charge for places to apply to have it hung. In the portrait, the king is wearing his Royal Navy uniform of the Admiral of the Fleet, along with official medals and decorations. And Hugo Bernand, by the way, is a favorite of Charles. He took Charles and Camilla's wedding photos back in 2005, as well as their coronation portraits last year. He also took the official portraits of William and Kate for their wedding day in 2011. So a new portrait of everything. We're still seeing all the new come in. And so a new portrait. And it's, it's a nice photo of, of the king. He looks he looks yeah, very good. I agree. I thought it was a great photo. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned the photographer took William and Kate's wedding day portraits. So while we're on Prince William, we'll, we'll do a little transition here. He actually had his first engagement of 2024. Last week, he was in Leeds, and he was there with two friends, Rob Burrow and Kevin Sinfield, who they have actually raised millions of dollars and a lot of awareness around motor neuron disease. So the two friends actually played together in a rugby league. And then in 2019, Rob Burrow was diagnosed with this disease. And since then, they have raised, I believe it's $19 million, with a big chunk of that actually being brought in through Kevin's efforts. So he's done a lot of things like, uh, you know, different fundraising activities like running marathons and uh, just a lot of work there to raise money. Mm-hmm. Um for, for that. And, and so Prince William was there with them to shine a light on the work that they've done to bring awareness to the disease and the progress being done there. So he presented both of them with CBEs, which I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, but CBE is an honor. It's bestowed on someone for a big contribution or service to the community that they've made. And it actually stands for commander of the British empire. Mm-hmm. Um, so funnily enough, I don't know if listeners caught the name Rob Burrow, but he, um, I said he played rugby and he has a podcast. I don't know if listeners remember Mike Tyndall and Zara were guests on his show recently. And this is the podcast that we talked about where Mike Tyndall shared his nickname for Prince William, which is One Pint Willie. And we all had a good laugh about that. Yes. Yes. (laughs) So a funny tie in there, but have a follow-up to that story. So we'll just, we'll go ahead and chat about that now. Um, Rachel, we laughed. We thought it was a funny nickname Mm -hmm. and it's certainly not the worst job we've ever heard about a member of the Royal family, but I guess Mike himself was second guessing the humor and, and calling out one pint Willie. Maybe he had some, some second thoughts about if that was in good taste. So (laughs) when William was at this event with Rob Burroughs, he actually commented on it and he jokingly accused Tom of pulling this nickname out of Mike. And then he told Tom, he said that Mike had apologized for, to him for calling him one pint Willie. And (laughs) William told, uh, he said, he told Mike, he said, you know, when, when you're not going to mention your nicknames, it doesn't mean you have to mention mine. That is so funny. <laughs> so I guess he alluded to the fact that he's got some funny nicknames for Mike too. Well, he wouldn't say what he what he was in Zara's phone as, which I think was like sex kitten. Like I mean, I'm like I'm pretty sure <laughs> like that's weird to say on this show. But um, I, about nicknames, really quickly, I just read this story today. We don't have this in the notes, but um, I didn't know this that Camilla. So Charles apparently hates this, but. Camilla's family because they all have a great sense of humor like the royal family and Camilla's everybody has a great sense of humor which is the only way to live life really and they call her Lorraine 
L-O-R-R-A-I-N-E, which is a joke play on the French, the French, um, the queen, which is Lorraine, like L-A or L-E something. I don't know. I don't have this fully researched, but so they, her family calls her Lorraine, like the, like the woman's name as a, uh, as, as a joke to make fun of the fact that she is now queen. So I mean, I just kind of love stuff like that, but apparently Charles hates it. So that's um, really funny. <laughs> <laughs> he's probably like, you should probably respect being queen more than calling her Lorraine. But I just think that's hilarious. That's how you keep people humble. You know what I mean? Definitely. I totally agree. So speaking of late ads, um, I had to throw this in the notes too. It's a little bit different than some of the stuff that we we talk about, but we've mentioned this recently. There was some royal chatter in the media this week. And I know we usually don't share stories that are kind of unconfirmed on the different, you know, headlines and tabloids and things, but I thought that story fluttering around from a few different sources online. And so Rachel, I don't know if you saw it, but if it's true, I think it's kind of exciting. And so I wanted to talk about it on the podcast, but we we've talked about Royal warrants very recently on the podcast, actually. And it's being reported that the Prince and Princess of Wales could possibly be extended the ability to grant their own Royal warrants by King Charles. Mm. So this means that we would see their seal of approval on various merchandise. And listeners may recall, we've mentioned with the Queen's royal warrants that to expire this year, that means King Charles will be the only royal with the ability to grant royal warrants unless he gives that ability to other members of the royal family. So I think it would make sense for William and Catherine to have the ability to do this. I'm not sure if there would be one royal warrant for both of them or if they would each have their own separate warrants that they could mm-hmm. grant. Um, I think it was Rebecca English that was writing about this. Um, and she mentioned the economic impact if Kate had the ability oh to my God, yeah, royal sure. warrants. So I'm thinking, could you imagine how brands would sell out of items so quickly if they were endorsed by her. And I have to ask you, Rachel, what brand or item do you think we would see Catherine endorse right away? Mm -hmm. And is there a particular piece that you would want to add to your collection if it had her warrant? I mean, I would add everything that has her warrant. I mean, (laughs) I'm a total subscriber to the Kate Middleton effect. Um, Okay, the first thing that came to my mind on and I don't know why is I oh my gosh I I think I hope I'm getting this name right Penelope Chavers the boots that Kate has had she's had this apparently same pair of boots since like 2005 they've held up that long and yeah and they're really like they're really good boots I feel like that that is where my mind first went but so when the queen queen Elizabeth was on the throne Philip could grant royal warrants. So he didn't grant very many, but he could. And then Charles. So I wonder if Charles is going to grant Camilla the ability to. And I think that he would, it would be a huge missed opportunity if he didn't let William and Kate do it. Because Kate, like just anything Kate touches turns to gold, meaning like if she wears something, it's going to sell out. I don't know. I, I, I mean, maybe Amelia Wickstead, Catherine Walker, Alexander McCoy. I don't know. Like they don't have, they do have, actually they do have some fashion, they have Burberry on there, for example. But um, that's, that's, if, if you get the call that like Kate has, has given you a Royal warrant, 
you cheer from every rooftop because that is the best thing that's ever happened to your business. So that's, that's I mean, cool. I'm thinking about, you know, just the value of like an item. If you have one of the very first items that came out with her warrant on it, I mean, mm-hmm. I can imagine that would probably be worth more than, than the uh, sticker price. I don't know. Oh yeah. Um, so anyway, really, really cool piece of news and something to look forward to. That's interesting. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, okay, well, that wraps up our Royal Rundown today. Um, our Royals, I think, are still kind of getting back into the swing of work, but not a big problem for us because we've got a lot of other stuff yeah, to Yeah, we've got big time Royals around the world stuff. Yeah, so the big announcement of the week, obviously, is... Denmark has a new king. And of course, we talked about this last week. So we've got follow up to some of those events this week that we'll chat about. On Sunday, January 14th, Queen Margrethe abdicated the Danish throne after 52 years as the country's queen. And her eldest son, Frederick, stepped into his new role as king. Like I said, we discussed last week, Denmark does not hold coronation ceremonies like the British royal family. So Sunday's event was really more of a, I guess, a passing of the symbolic crown. We didn't actually see any crowns being worn, Um, but it was, you know, just a recognition of the country's new monarch. So even though, Rachel, this wasn't a traditional coronation ceremony. There was a huge crowd there. Did you see that the crowd photos? was crazy big and good for good for Denmark because she deserves that. I I agree. Yeah, people were really excited and and that's always good to see. So when the queen announced her plans to abdicate abdicate in her New Year speech, she only gave the country two weeks notice, but. Rachel, we talked about that here and we didn't even realize at the time that she had only shared her plans with her sons, Frederick and Joachim, three days ahead of her public that's announcement. That's crazy, especially if you're Frederick. That's wild. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Like that's that's pretty short notice for the future king. And I was going to ask you what you thought about that and if you think he deserved more than three days notice. I do, because that's really only like less than three weeks total to prepare for this. I mean, look, I guess when your parent dies, you don't get. That's what I was thinking. But I mean, still like, I I don't know. I just, that's a lot to absorb. And I mean, you're going to talk about this, but we saw him kind of getting a little bit emotional on the balcony and like, it is emotional. It's a lot going on, but I mean, maybe she just made the decision three days prior, who knows? But, um, I mean, yeah, I, that, that's very short. Yeah, I went back and forth about that as well, because I thought in in a situation like a traditional what we saw with Queen Elizabeth, I mean, you know, obviously the family knew that that she was sick leading up to that. But there are occasions when a monarch passes unexpectedly and, and the next person in line has to step up with very little to no notice. So, I mean, that happens. But if you know you're going to abdicate, I I think it's probably would <laughs> probably be helpful mm-hmm. to give a little more heads up in three days. But we also asked the question last week if the country should have been given more notice in two weeks. You know, while there wasn't a big coronation ceremony, I, again, I think a little extra time would have created an opportunity to plan for local celebrations and just for all the tourism. Because I do think people, even in two weeks, were booking flights to go to Copenhagen. You yeah, know? probably. Yeah. I'm wondering if the queen 
didn't give a big runway because she didn't want a lot of pomp and ceremony around her abdication, but mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm not really sure what her thought was with, with that decision. I don't, I mean, maybe, like I said, maybe she just made the decision, you know, she was like, oh yeah, my anniversary is coming up. I think I'm out, you know? And like, <laughs> we just, like we just said, you know, if we, if we said to, in any other job that a, and what is she 83, that an 83 year old, for lack of a better term in Margaret's case, employee is going to retire at 83 and she's going to give two weeks. We would be like, okay, well that's long overdue, but for this, we're freaking out. Right. I mean, it's customary. I get, I mean, not all of us are Queens or Kings, but it's customary to give two weeks notice. And that's what Margaret did. She gave her two week notice and she was out. She did. I do still think this has been something that she has been contemplating for a while. Like I said, probably not for the last five or 10 years, but the last two to three, I definitely think it's been something she's been contemplating. I definitely since I, I definitely think since the back surgery, which was almost a year ago. So I think well, I think since I think that escalated it. And I also just think watching um, Queen Elizabeth and what the British royal family. Yeah, went. yeah true. Well, despite little notice to her sons or the public, like I said, we had big crowds show up on Sunday for the historic event, and we saw a lot of festive decorations around Copenhagen. I saw lots of pictures online of Danish flags hung, photos of the future king and queen. I saw a big picture in like a, a storefront or something of Queen Margrethe. And the bells rang in the city that morning. We saw carriages with beautiful white horses. So, I mean, it still felt like a big royal celebration, yeah. like a big event, which I liked. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I, was, I loved it. I mean, I hate to see her go, but I, I did. It was enough pomp and ceremony for me. Definitely. Um, so the Council of State was held at 2 p.m. at Christiansborg Palace, where the Queen signed the Declaration of Abdication. Crown Prince Frederick became King Frederick X of Denmark, along with his wife, who is now Queen Mary of Denmark. And Frederick was proclaimed king by the prime minister on the balcony of Christiansborg Palace. And he and Mary were joined there by their children. And so we had Crown Prince Christian, Princess Isabel, and then their twins, Princess Josephine and Prince Vincent, who they actually, I forgot to shout this out last week. They recently had their 13th birthday. So mm -hmm. happy birthday to the twins. Mm -hmm. um, and then we also got a really romantic royal moment. So the king and queen shared a kiss on the balcony. Did you see that? I did. And it reminded me because I'm working on something about um, royal wedding dresses from around the world. And it was very reminiscent of they when they kissed on the balcony for their wedding back in 2004. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Everyone cheered. I mean, I thought they looked genuinely happy. I, I do too. Like you can't, you can't fake that. Mary looked really happy. And so I think they're okay, which is great news. Absolutely. I agree. I think it was a very natural, like a romantic moment for them. And, and like I said, I think their emotions were genuine. Um, I am also pretty sure I saw the King tear up while they were waving to he the crowd for in sure. one of the videos. Mm -hmm. So I think he was feeling a lot of emotions in that moment. I thought all the video production from that day on their social media accounts were really wonderful. Um, they had me tearing up watching the videos. I was really <laughs> excited to see mm -hmm. everything going on there. And 
there was one, one of the last videos they shared over the weekend was a video of the king and queen. They were on the ba balcony and the Coldplay song, A Sky Full of Stars. No. Were playing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I just felt all the excitement there. I thought that was a great one. Yeah. Yeah. Their social media people are killing it. I totally agree. Yeah. They've done a great job with all their Christmas content too, that they mm -hmm. recently had. It's just, mm -hmm. it's really fun to follow. Listeners, if you're not watching this family and I don't know how you couldn't be after listening to us jabber on about it all the time, they're one to watch for sure. Definitely. So this whole event, you know, really got me thinking about Queen Margaret's decision to abdicate when she did. And I was just thinking about really the mix of emotions that she must have had as she signed the declaration. I mean, we saw her depart from the palace and I just feel like she had to have felt a sense of accomplishment, maybe some relief and some hope for the future of her country. I feel like she also felt pride for her children and grandchildren and probably excitement for her retirement and then I also think she had to feel a little bit of sadness in ending this chapter for her life. And mm -hmm. I don't know, I was just kind of sitting there watching this and just imagining everything she must be feeling in that moment. And it's something that, you know, monarchs who don't abdicate don't get to experience. Uh, so I thought that was really kind of unique. And I think in stepping down when she did, I feel like she must have experienced some joy in being able to mm -hmm. watch your own child step into a role that you once did and kind of share that moment with them. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, Denmark hasn't had an abdication, I think 900 years. So obviously her parent couldn't be there with her when right. she took the throne, but she can. And that, that actually is really cool. I mean, I hate, again, I hate to see her go, but like, it is pretty special that you can watch your child you know, on earth, not from a heavenly, you know, place mm -hmm. above, watch them, watch them shine. Really. It's that's super cool. So that same day, the new King's monogram was released. It's a two mirrored letter F and then the Roman numeral 10, so an X in between. And then it's, of course, topped with the royal crown. Um, they shared that on their social as well. It's a gold, it was a gold color. And so we'll start to see that pop up. But I mean, pretty quick turnaround to have that released the same day. Yeah, those graphic designers were, were scrambling in those two weeks to get, <laughs> to get it ready. <laughs> Well, as we said, there were lots of people from the public there. There was also some family in attendance supporting the new king and queen, including Mary's sister and her husband, and then Prince Joachim, which is Frederick's younger brother. That's huge to me. That's huge. That's a huge, yeah. like good for Joaquin for being the bigger person here. That's huge. I mean, that's still his mom and, and brother, you know, that's, that's big of him. So good on him. Well, I wanted to talk about that for a second because there was a little bit of drama in the news headlines over Joaquin's attendance because he did come solo without his wife and children. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what Rachel is alluding to is we all remember last year, Queen Margrethe removed the prince and princess titles from his children, which are her grandchildren, and that leaves those titles only for the grandchildren in direct line to the throne. So Frederick's four kids are they do have prince and princess titles. So rather than prince and princess, 
Joaquin's children go by Count and Countess. And I'm not sure if if you knew this, Rachel, uh, but a reminder for our listeners, his two oldest sons, Nikolai and Felix, are from his first wife, Alexandra. And then his two children, Henrik and Athena, are his by his current wife, Marie. So following the queen stripping his four children from the prince and princess titles, the family relocated. They were, I think they were living in Paris, actually, if I remember correctly. Well, they moved to DC, remember? They moved. Well, yeah. So that's what I was gonna say. They relocated yeah. from Europe. Um, I think it was from Paris. Um Yeah, you're right. That's right. That's right. So they're now based in Washington, DC, and their rep came out and, and shared the reason for him attending solo. Um, and they said that his children had school and they're in the US and his wife was staying behind with them. Um, you know, I mean, this is a it is a pretty big overseas trip, but I would argue it's worth missing a few days of school to see your grandmother during this occasion. I mean, that that's my perspective. I don't know. Rachel, if you feel the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it would have been like, it's, it's a bit equivalent to Harry going solo to the coronation. Right. Um, you know, I wish that I would have seen his, uh, Marie and the kids, all four of the kids there, but, um, I, I, I mean, I don't know how relations are, but I know that when it happened about a year and a quarter ago, relations were not good. So I, I'm just, honestly, I'm going to focus on the fact that Joaquin was there and that is huge. And, um, I hope that they're, cause at the end of the day, look, that's still your grandmother. And I hope that they're repairing relationships if they haven't already. Well, you know, like you said, a lot of people are <laughs> accusing him of pulling a Prince Harry, uh, you know, his plans, were to be there on Sunday for the events and then he was going to return home the very next day um, and that's kind of what Harry did he did this whirlwind trip to Charles Coronation I don't even know that he spent the night I think he was in and out that same day because he was trying to get back for Archie's birthday mm-hmm. um, Megan stayed behind with the kids in California so um, I don't know I mean I, I think I'm glad he was able to be there and attend um, I do think an event a historic event like that uh, warrants missing some school though. So it would have been nice. I think it would have been a really good look for them to come, but maybe they just weren't ready. I don't know, but I'm, I'm just glad that, um, that her, both of her sons were there. I, yeah, I agree. So to close out this story, um, our Danish Royals received a lot of congratulations and well wishes from other Royal families across Europe. So we saw King Charles and Queen Camilla, they shared a message congratulating Frederick, and he stated that he looked forward to working with him on issues that matter to their countries in the wider world. Um, King Charles also paid his tribute to Queen Margaret and said he remembered fondly the frequent visits between their countries, including England's visit to Copenhagen in 2012, which I thought was an interesting call out. Yeah. Interesting. Um, okay. They've been, the Royal family's <laughs> been back since then. So anyway. Yeah. Maybe there's a special memory tie there that we don't know about. <laughs> the special memories of 2012 anyway. <laughs> so King Harold of Norway, uh, I thought he shared a really nice heartfelt message to Frederick and Mary. Um, I'm going to read a few snippets from his letter. I won't read the whole thing, but he said, you are succeeding a monarch who has fulfilled her function with exceptional commitment. He went on to say the close friendship between our two families means a great deal to us. 
And then he finished with, I'm confident that you will flourish in your new role. My family and I hope and pray that you will be given the strength and support that you need to carry out your calling. That's nice. I thought that was really nice. That's really nice. Yeah. King Willem Alexander and Queen Maxima of the Netherlands also shared a message. They said, with warmth and affection, we honor Queen Margaret for her unconditional and remarkable commitment to Denmark. We look forward to meeting King Frederick and Queen Mary in their new role. And then King Carl Gustav of Sweden also sent a message, which was really, his was more addressed directly to Queen Margrethe. So he thanked her and he said that she's played a big role in maintaining the closeness and affection between their countries. So I thought that was nice. And then King Philippe and Queen Matilda of Belgium also shared a message stating that Queen Margrethe's way of exercising the royal function and her dedication will remain an example for all. Mm -hmm. um, finally, King Philippe and Queen Letizia of Spain sent a message to Frederick and Mary sharing their congratulations on the beginning of their reign. So they got lots of- That's all of them. Great. That's a lot. Of, that's a lot of European royals right there. Yeah. A lot of great support from their fellow monarchs. I love seeing that. As, the, as they should, right? I mean, as well, they should. It's kind of like they've entered a new club, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know what? I'm not, again, I've said it once, I've said it a million times, not super- jazz to see it happen but it's happening and you know congratulations on a job well done your majesty meaning margaret and welcome to uh being a monarch king frederick and yes. king mary and can't wait to see what is to come there's just a lot there's a lot of young kings right now i mean it's solely solely kings there's no more queen regnants we've said that on the show before but a lot of young you know like 40s 50s 60s um, kings. And so I'm just really excited for Denmark. I am too. There's so much fun stuff that we have coming that we get to watch and follow along with. Well, as we wrap up talking about Denmark, I wanted, so I know listeners, you cannot see this, but there is a photo from Sunday in the abdication that I found so powerful. And it's a photo of Frederick sitting at the head of the table. Um, Margrethe has just signed the abdication papers. She is has her back to the camera. She's like, this actually makes me kind of emotional. Like she's walking, she's walking out of the room. She's got a cane and it's just such a symbolic photo. It's just like, okay. Cause you know, when, when this moment happens, um, like with queen Elizabeth and King Charles, you know, the, the queen is, is dead. Like the, there is no picture like this, right. Like of, of her walking out of the door, um, and Charles sitting at the head of the table, but this is a really powerful photo of the, the, you know, the transition has happened. The, the it's been passed from one monarch to another. I, what do you think of this photo? This photo really struck me. Yeah, I agree. You know, they've got their backs facing each other. We see her walking away and he is sitting there facing the camera um, and he's at the table and everyone, the prime minister and, and staff are around and they're all looking back over his shoulder, watching her walk out the door. And seeing this actually really makes me think even more um, how much I feel like she must have contemplated this for a mm -hmm. while and thought about this moment. And it's special. And Rachel, I mean, the more I see this, the more I think it was the right choice and the happier yeah. I am for her. And, you know, I know people were upset by it, but I, I kind of love it. I think she, I think it's a great decision on her part. So I want to know what I'm wondering 
what on earth is going through her mind as she walks out that door? Cause she's by herself. She, there's no, there's no one around her. There's not like an aide or anything. It's just her. And it's just the equivalent again of walking like out of an office that you've worked in for 52 years. And it's yeah. just like, wow, that's it. You know, all of this time, half a century. You know, that's you it. know what I, I was just saying, I was thinking about all the mixed emotions that she was having, but you know what I really hope she was thinking about? Hmm. Hope she was thinking about some awesome vacation. She's just yeah, or like I'm going home right now, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pour a glass of wine. Maybe she gonna... was catching a flight to the beach or something. There you go, like, <laughs> walking out, being like, "Man, I'm retired. That's it." So, um, ugh, just that's history. I mean, look, we it's not very often that we get probably potentially our biggest Royals around the world story of the year in like the first two weeks of the year. So, boom, 2020. This is unusual because we get to share a new monarch taking over and it's fully an exciting story. There's no element of grief about this or or, or yeah. sadness, you know, whereas when we talked about Charles taking over um, in the UK, we were we were kind of sad, too. We were, we were happy for sad. him, but we were we were <laughs> sad. It was a mix, you know, but this is like. Well, everybody's happy. It's a celebration. We were kind of sad. Listen, well, you know what I mean. It, crying on it was here. it was a it was a mix of of sad and and you know happiness for Charles, but but a lot of sadness too. So um, personally, it was mostly sad, but uh, for me, but um, yeah, but Charles the King is doing great. But that's another that's another story. But um, huge huge news. So. Congratulations to Denmark on a job well done for one monarch and the beginning of a fresh start for another. Absolutely. Well, before we wrap up our Royals around the world, uh, we've got a little bit more to cover here. So we have, speaking of celebratory events, we're, mm -hmm. we'll catch up on this wedding we talked about last week. The, there was a 10-day royal wedding in Brunei. I think Brunei. it's still going on. It's, I think it ends tomorrow. It's too Is much. It still, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah I, that's a long wedding, but anyway. I've lost track of, of time, and uh, so we're recording this on Tuesday. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so celebrations kicked off, yeah, January 10th for Prince Mateen and Anisha, and these are gorgeous photos. Mm -hmm. Um beautiful, beautiful wedding photos. I don't know, Rachel, if you want to talk about the photos at all. You actually dropped these in our notes. Yeah. I really love her veil. Look at Look at how gorgeous that veil is. So we've got five photos in here. Listeners, you can look at, these are just photos that, uh, that are circulating of, uh, the 10 day, like again, we'll talk about that in a second, but that sounds exhausting to me, but, um, she's got this gorgeous veil. Um, in one of the photos, they, the couple is in a car, she's waving. She's got a tiara on that I'm going to talk about in a second. Then in another photo, they are, uh, the couple is walking. I'm not sure where they're walking out of, but she's in her wedding dress, her wedding, um, veil, all of it in all of these photos. Then they're in, back in the car and then they are sitting on the throne. And um, I wish I need like more of a full length of this dress. The first photo is almost there, but I want a full length from the, well, actually there it is that photo of them walking out. Yeah. I've, I mean, I, you know what, it kind of, I need a closer shot of the neckline, but there's, there's it, something about it is reminding me of Kate's dress. It's beautiful. 
It is. I I love the lace detail. I love lace. Yes, yes, yes. So the diamond tiara Anisha is wearing was previously worn by Princess Azima, who is Prince Mateen's sister. And royals from Malaysia, Bhutan, Jordan, and more were at the wedding. Anisha, by the way, is the granddaughter of the Sultan's special advisor. And she, Anisha, runs the fashion brand Silk Collective and co-owns a tourism company called Authent... Okay, this is a tough word to say. Authenturary. A U T H E N T I R A R Y, authenticary. So, um, anyway, doesn't a ten day wedding sound exhausting? Like, I feel like a one day wedding is is a huge commitment. Little ten days. That's oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, I can't imagine, especially on that scale too. I think um, you know, you think about when you go off and you do a wedding weekend somewhere, and even just. Friday through Sunday, you're exhausted coming back on Sunday. But I have to imagine too, like, you know, sometimes being a guest at a wedding is a lot, but for the bride and groom, I mean, they, oh, they're going to have to take a month long honeymoon to get over that. <laughs> you know, I mean, you don't have to twist my arm there, but like, that's definitely a marathon, not a sprint. Like you got to pace yourself when it's that long. But um, anyway, congratulations all the way around in Royals around the world. Happy news on happy news. Well, let's close this episode out with Royal Potpourri. So I, this is my second or third week doing this. I can't even remember my it's name. The third. It's my third. Thank you for keeping me in check. I don't even remember it's this is where my life is right now I don't even remember what I talked about too oh anyway it doesn't matter but this week we are talking about divorce in the royal family so from marriage and abdication happiness to divorce in the royal family and you know really I just want to show the through line of divorce in the British this is about obviously just the British royal family and how much can change from generation to generation so I'm fairly certain I've mentioned this on the show before, but divorce in the royal family from generation to generation honestly takes up more rent space in my head than I'm proud to admit. So this is not going to really be like one of those overly statistic filled research driven royal potpourries, but really just more food for thought for you listeners of how the monarchy is modernizing, even though sometimes it seems like it isn't, or if it is, it's doing so at a snail's pace, but consider this. So let's, let's start if we will with Wallace Simpson, which really I think is like the entree point of divorce into the royal family. So we did a deep dive on her last year, if you want to go back and listen to that. But Wallace Simpson, for better or worse, shifted the monarchy and she shifted it to King George VI, which ultimately allowed us 70 years with Queen Elizabeth. So I think instead of deriding her like we do, we should actually thank her profusely because she gave us Queen Elizabeth. So divorce in this case literally led to a constitutional crisis that led to an abdication. Yeah, I don't have to tell you listeners that Wallace has been, has, she's, she's passed away, had been divorced twice. Her first marriage was to Earl Winfield Spencer Jr., which I think it's interesting that he's a Spencer, but they're not related because um, when it was his nickname is American. Th- that doesn't mean that he can't be related to Diana Spencer, but I don't think they are. Anyway, Wallace married Wynn in 1916. And despite numerous separations throughout their marriage, they did not ultimately divorce until 1927. I think mm-hmm. Wynn had a bit of a drinking problem. So um, Wallace didn't ever really stay, seem to stay single for any period of time. She's a bit like the Jennifer Lopez of her day. She was never, never really single. And so by the time her marriage to Wynn was over, she was already involved with Ernest Simpson, who she married in 1928. Interestingly, 
I guess, Ernest divorced his first wife with whom he had a child to marry Wallace. And then in 1931, three years into the marriage, Wallace met Edward and they saw one another various times between 1931 and 1934. In early 1934, Wallace officially became Edward's mistress. By the end of the year, both were in love, but Wallace was still married, you know, that thing. So on January 20th, 1936, which is almost to the day that this episode comes out, King Edward VIII ascended to the throne. After the death of George V, while still married to someone else, Wallace reportedly said, soon I shall be queen of England. So, and she wasn't, but she she did marry the King of England. So Wallace's divorce from Ernest was granted on October 27th, 1936. In November, the King consulted with the Prime Minister, Stanley Baldwin, on a way to marry Wallace, but still keep the throne. The bottom line was the monarch of the UK is also the Supreme Governor of the Church of England. So get this, it wasn't until 2002 that the Church of England allowed remarriage of divorced people if their former spouse was still living. The constitutional crisis came into play with Edward because if Edward married Wallace against the advice of the prime minister, then the government would be required to resign. And so it became clear that if Edward wished to marry Wallace, which of course he did, he'd have no choice but to abdicate. So on December 10th, 1936, which keep in mind, that's like five weeks, right? Since Mm -hmm. Wallace got divorced, um, he abdicated and the British royal family was changed forever. So of course, Edward and Wallace ended up getting married on June 3rd, 1937. So that's what, six months later on what would have been King George V's 72nd birthday. No members of Edward's family not surprisingly, we're in attendance. So then, okay, so jump now to the next generation and Princess Margaret. So I likely don't have to tell any of you about how divorce colored Margaret's life. So first of all, Peter Townsend, Margaret meets him in 1944. She's only 13 years old and was immediately taken with him to the point where her older sister, Princess Elizabeth said, bad luck, he's married. So Peter was an equerry and Margaret, as I said, was only 13 years old. So it is said she fell in love with Peter on the family's 1947 South Africa tour. By this time, she would have been 16, I think. And that's the same tour where Elizabeth gave her famous, I declare before you all that my whole life, whether it be long or short speech. So even though Margaret had feelings for Peter, he didn't develop feelings for her until 1951. So Margaret would have been 20 or 21, which is the same year that he separated from his wife. By 1952, rumors about them planning to marry began circulating. Peter's divorce was finally finalized in December of 1952. So Peter apparently asked Margaret to marry him shortly before Christmas of that year, but other sources say that it happened in February February or April of 1953. So keep in mind that Peter is 15 years Margaret's senior, and he had two children. Margaret accepted the proposal, but he but had to inform her sister, who by now was newly on the throne. If you do the math, she came to the throne in February 1952. Her coronation was in June of 1953. So all members of the royal family at the time had to receive the permission of the monarch to marry because of the Royal Marriages Act of 1772. So Margaret had to ask her sister's permission to marry Peter Townsend, who she was engaged to, but they couldn't get married without Elizabeth's permission. So Margaret was asked by Elizabeth to keep the relationship a secret until after the coronation, which again, as I said, was in June of 1953. So then if you'll remember from the Margaret deep dive, Margaret picked that piece of lint off of Peter at the coronation Mm -hmm. and the world suddenly knew that they were together and it (laughs) became a humongous media firestorm. So 
uh, Prince Philip was really the one that was driving. He was he was the one that was really opposed to Peter and Margaret getting married. Queen, as you would if this was your daughter or your sister, the Queen Mother and Queen Elizabeth wanted Margaret to be happy, but simply couldn't approve of the marriage because of a lot of factors, mostly around the Church of England. So the Queen, Queen Elizabeth, tried to kind of kick the can down the road, if you will. She asked Margaret to wait until 1955 when she was 25 to marry. So then Peter gets transferred to the British Embassy in Brussels, Belgium on July 15th. 1953. Now keep in mind that this is maybe just a couple weeks, right? Like a little over a month after the coronation. So he's, he's gone. They've shipped him off to Belgium. Now, Margaret was out of the country at the time. So it was kind of done behind her back. It was that sudden. And then, so Margaret turns 25 in August of 1955. Peter and Margaret are still together. This whole thing is a total media circus. And Then ultimately, the decision not to marry was made on October 24th, 1955, with a statement from Margaret that said, I would like it to be known that I've decided not to marry Group Captain Peter Townsend. I've been aware that subject to renouncing my rights of succession, which means that if she got married, she'd have to give up her place in line to the throne. It might have been possible for me to contract a civil marriage. And that's another thing. They, They couldn't get married in the church because the church did not support divorced people remarrying if their spouse was still alive until 2002 which is Hmm. we'll talk about that in a second that's coincidentally time to when charles needed that to be so but we'll get there but um back to margaret but mindful of the church's teachings that christian marriage is indissoluble and conscious of my duty to the commonwealth i have resolved to put these considerations before others i've researched this decision entirely alone and in doing so i've been strengthened by the unfailing support and devotion of group captain townsend so peter for his part recalled that we'd reached the end of the road our feelings for one another were unchanged but they had incurred for us a burden so great that we decided together to lay it down so peter and margaret met a few times over the years the last time being in october 1993 he died in 1995 and margaret when they met again said he looked exactly the same except he had gray hair and i believe as many do that he was the love of her life. And this, this story is, is really sad. And so ultimately Margaret goes on to marry Anthony Armstrong, strong Jones, Tony, who after the marriage became the Earl of Snowden, they married in 1960. They both had extramarital affairs throughout the marriage. They separated in 1976 and their marriage ended in divorce in 1978 and Margaret never remarried. Okay. So those are those two generations. Do you have any thoughts so far before we jump to the next generation? Um, you know, the Princess Margaret story has always just been heartbreaking to me. That's I mean, a huge we, heartbreaker. We've heard about both of these, you know, a lot before in the past. And um, I don't feel as much emotion around Wallace Simpson. Um, and no, I don't feel sorry. And Edward's him. marriage, but Princess Margaret's just kind of breaks my heart. It's one of those where you think, like, what if you know, what if she had just been allowed to marry the love of her life from the start? How would that have been different? Well, I think her whole life would have been different. And so I I really wanted to go a little bit deeper than maybe I intended to on Margaret to show you how different it is from that generation to the next generation with um, Queen Elizabeth's four children, three of whom divorced and two of them have remarried after the fact. I I've said this on the show before. I wonder what it was like for Margaret to look at Anne, who is her niece or Margaret has, has passed away, but 
and, and think of, you know, how different things were in just a generation's time. So the next generation divorce became commonplace. As I just said, three of the Queens, four children separated from their spouses in 1992 alone, which of course was her Anna's Herebalus. So Prince Charles and Princess Diana separated. They later finalized their divorce in 1996. Diana, I will never get over this fact and I'll say it all the time. Diana died just 368 days later. Charles went on to marry a divorcee herself who, you know, this woman you might have maybe heard of called Camilla Parker Bowles. They married in 2005. And that was just three years, keep in mind, after the Church of England began to allow remarriage after divorce, even though Andrew Parker Bowles, her ex, was very much still alive and still is today. Princess Anne separated from Mark Phillips in 1992 and was divorced and married again by the end of 1992. And if you'll remember to dodge that church, that stubborn church of England rule, she and Timothy Lawrence married in Scotland because again, at the time remarriage was not allowed by the church of England. If, if the spouse was still alive, which Mark Phillips is still alive today in particular, as I just said, the difference between the experience Margaret had with divorce and her niece Anne had with divorce is totally different. Anne is just 20 years younger than Margaret. Margaret was born in 1930 and was born in 1950. So look at what 20 years can do. And finally, Andrew and Sarah Ferguson finalized their divorce in 1996. Neither remarried. I shared on here a couple of weeks ago that I think they're still in love, but that's again, a whole other podcast at minimum. They're roommates. They live together at Royal Lodge. Okay. Now we're moving into the next generation. We continue to modernize. So modernizing further, still in the next generation, Harry was allowed to marry a divorcee, an American divorcee, no less. And Megan, who is married to her first husband, Trevor Ingleson, from 2011 to 2014. And then, so Edo wasn't married, but he did bring a child into his marriage to Princess Beatrice from a former relationship with Dara Wang. Their son, Christopher Wolf, a.k.a. Wolfie, was born in 2016 which is four years before he married Beatrice in 2020, making her a stepmother. So Edo and Beatrice started dating in 2018 when Wolfie was about two. And then of as the queen's eight grandchildren, the first and so far only, hopefully only to get a divorce is Anne's son, Peter Phillips, who separated from wife Autumn Kelly in 2019 after 11 years of marriage. And they finalized their divorce in 2021. So, just look at where divorce, like the through line of divorce from the mid 1930s, which wasn't even a hundred years ago to today. And while the Royal family certainly is not pro-divorce, nor am I, nor are, is anybody, I don't think it seems as though it's no longer anti-divorce, at least not as anti as it used to be. The Royal family's relationship with divorce from generation to generation is fascinating to me. There's no doubt it's been a plot point in this family's narrative for a long, long time. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how it plays into the next generation, though, of course, hopefully it won't. And it will be a moot point because I don't wish divorce on anyone. So there's your Royal potpourri this week about divorce. So from the ha- the highest of highs, a 10 day <laughs> wedding and an happy abdication to that. But again, I just think it's really interesting how, how it just goes generation, how, how different it is from generation to generation and what 20 years can do. Well, also, you know, almost all of these stories, I guess you could go back to Margaret all the way up to, um, princess Beatrice, 
the king and or well i'm sorry the queen and prince philip were um present for for all of those you yeah, talked exactly. about prince william's uh, prince william prince philip's feelings you know about margaret and um i just think it's interesting to think about them experiencing all of those family members going through that and maybe how their um you know how they approached that you know changed and and maybe what they thought about that and i don't know if it's even a question of being pro or or anti and more so just you know things will will come what may and you you know you you can't really control other people's decisions even if you try you know yeah um so i you know i just think about you talking about prince philip being opposed to Margaret marrying Peter Townsend. But then we also saw a photo of him and Queen Elizabeth standing next to Princess Beatrice and Edo at their wedding, yeah. obviously in support. So, um, yeah. You know, and I just thought of the fact that, well, and to your point that you just made that Queen Elizabeth was here for all of this, you know, I mean, think of the difference in her sister asking her can I marry a divorcee and her having to say basically no to her grandson Harry asking her can I marry a divorcee and she said yes Mm -hmm. and so that's you know that's what time can do I guess thank you again Rachel that was fun was it was it fun (laughs) I don't know it was pretty depressing it uh it was educational there you go that's a better word that's a better word (laughs) Um, so we've got a lot coming up on the podcast the next few weeks. We've got a few interviews that will be dropping soon. And listeners, if you actually are paying attention to the royal world and, and new things coming out in that space, you may have already heard that Robert Hardman, who's been on our show before, has a book coming out on Friday, January, no, Thursday, January yeah. 18th. And we have an interview with him that will go live Friday the 19th. So we'll be talking about that book. Everywhere right now. Oh my gosh. His book is everywhere. And we had the chance to talk to him. So I can't wait for you to hear that interview. Yeah. We love talking to him. It's always a lot of fun. It's a good chat. So tune into that. Um, And we've got a lot more fun stuff coming out soon. As usual, I'm going to give our our shout out here on social media. So go follow us on Instagram at Podcast Royal. Uh, We love to post fun stuff there and we'll link to the podcast when it goes live every week. Um, If you have questions or thoughts, you can always send us a DM on Instagram. You can email us at hellopodcastroyal at gmail.com. And we welcome the positive five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts. So go check that out as well. And thank you so much for tuning in to episode 122 of Podcast Royal. Bye. Bye.